Today's episode of One Shining Podcast is brought to you, as always, by TheRinger.com, where I, ta- I want to take a second and congratulate everyone who works at The Ringer and covers the NBA, which is, I think, everyone. 95% yes. of our payroll, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is pretty much just everyone that works at The Ringer. Heck of a season from those guys. It was a ton of fun uh, getting sucked into their vortex of them. Uh, they do a great job, our, our NBA people, of pretending like there's suspense in the NBA, Tate. That's how I'll say it. Like they they do a great job of being like, I don't know, could the Sixers do it this year? Could it be the Celtics? Maybe. And then, and then it's the Warriors beating LeBron yet again in very easy fashion, which is exactly what we thought would happen in October. So, uh, great job from those guys, whipping everyone into a frenzy. That's that's what it that's what it means to create content on the internet, Tate. Is you got to keep the people entertained. The, the, certainly, the product on the court wasn't doing it, but uh, our ringer writers were stepping up. And congratulations to them. Job well done. We also have podcasts on The Ringer that Tate Frazier will now speak to. Tate, give the people some podcasts to listen to. We, I feel like I always give the same ones, like Against All Odds, Simmons Show, NBA Show, Press Box. What well, about you? What, what, what? Well, you're in good luck because those are all the podcasts I'm going to bring up. Against All Odds, the Cousin Sal today, uh, talking about the U.S. Open with Joe House. Tons of props out there uh, for all the Tiger Woods fans. It's been 10 years. Mark Titus, I don't know if you know this, 10 years since Tiger Woods won a major. Um, that was the U.S. Open the last Wait, time what? he did it. Yeah, ten years. It's been remember a decade. When, remember when? Uh, remember when he had sex at one time? Yeah, that was nine and years ago. It, and then it ruined everything. That was nine years ago. <laughs> yeah. Wow, jeez. <laughs> so Quite far, a drought. Yeah, it's been a drought. Uh, so he's <laughs> back. Hopefully, Tiger will be back. Uh, so against all odds, listen to that Joe House on all the U.S. Open guys. Um, what else is out there in the world? We got the Ringer NFL show is back. Uh, myself, Mike Lombardi, going to talk about uh, all the people reporting to camp because that is the main storylines in football right now. Everyone wants to talk about people that show up um, to do their jobs, even though it is mandatory. We still talk about it. So tune into and that. The, uh, and the Ringer NBA show. We should say that uh, you know the, the season is over, but that just means that the real season has now started. It is LeBron James free agency season. Uh, I'm sure our Ringer <sighs> NBA people have a lot of theories that they're going to talk about. This is this is why you get into the NBA. Tate, let, let's just start the podcast because I, I have a lot of thoughts on the NBA. I feel very vindicated as a, as a fan of college basketball. Um, and I, I want to just dive into it. And we have, by the way, we have Kyle back. Kyle, are you there? I've been here the whole time, guys. I don't know why I even tell people I've been Nice. Here. Kyle is here. It, the question, though, Tate, is Kyle going to be here by the end of the show? We will find out all of that and more to come. But first, what are you doing? All right, Tate, it is Tuesday, as always. It is about noon o'clock here on the beautiful East Coast city of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, we have our podcast producer back. Producer Kyle is back. He was on the lam. Uh, you and I had no idea where he went. We were doing that show, like, was it three weeks ago? And halfway through, Kyle gets tapped out, and intern Evan steps in. Yes. And is running, is producing our show, and I had no idea that it even happened. And I feel like Kyle has not been around since. Um, I drove up to Cleveland and found him, Tate, and I, I brought his ass back to the show. Why did Welcome you go back, to Cleveland? Kyle. That's the question. Because I wanted my podcast producer back, and I Good. had a suspicion. I drove up to Cleveland. The, you know, that's the right answer. A lot of people might have thought. A lot of people might have thought I went up there for the NBA Finals. It's not true. I just had this like this this feeling that Kyle was drinking beer on the streets of Cleveland and playing <laughs> cornhole with strangers. And I was like, I know I'm going to find him somewhere. And I was walking around, and sure enough, there he was, fist pumping, high fiving strangers in Cavs gear. Kyle, you love Cleveland. I love Cleveland. True or false? It's true. It's true. 
It's true. The, there it is, Mr. There Ohio is, himself. <laughs> That's, yeah. What a ringing endorsement from Kyle. I love it. It was like he was held hostage to say that he loves Cleveland, but I. It looked like you guys did love Cleveland. I got a video, a grainy, grainy video of Kyle playing cornhole with you, Mark Titus, on the streets of Cleveland uh, in some shanty town that you guys had found. So, um, we went. We went to game. We went to game four. Kyle had a press pass. I did not. I just wow. had a normal ticket. That was an awesome feeling, um, by the so, way. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving him at the gate, just waiting for me to come back. <laughs> Kyle was flexing all over me. He's like, "You just stay right here. I'm gonna go do some important stuff and get in here with the." Press I'll get pass. a guy. I know a guy. Um, but yeah, we we did go to the game. I ended up. Uh, I I got the better seat. Kyle graciously sacrificed his good ticket and let me sit by the boss, uh, for game four, and Tate. It was. Um, it felt like a regular season game. That's my takeaway from the NBA Finals. Is that I was I was very triggered by how little the Warriors cared when they won. Like they were just kind of high fiving, like they like they just won their third straight game in January or something. Was what the vibe looked like after they won an NBA championship. And I was I was very triggered by that because you're you're in the arena with all the Cleveland fans and these people. Even though they won one in 2016, like all these people would rip out their eyeballs if it meant that you could just 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 give me one more. I just want to feel one more before I die. You know, like uh, so all these people like desperately they really just wanted to win one game and then the Warriors win and I think the, the biggest fu they could give to the Cavs fans was like barely even celebrating and just kind of like golf clapping and <laughs> hey we did it. Again. They, they look more excited that like the summer's here and now they can go golfing. Yes, they, that they won the title. <laughs> That's 100% true. They were basically just celebrating the fact that uh, it was over. It was really sad um, just watching on television. I mean, I, I told you this. I mean, I turned the channel for a little while just because I was so bored with the fact that it was just that it was over. And at least at the time, you just were like, what is going on here? Why is LeBron, you know, just seem content right now just to sit down and, and, and accept it? And why do the Warriors just seem like... This is easy. Like Steph's just throwing up threes. I mean, he has like 37 points, and there's there's nothing really that can save this game. And for whatever reason, I mean, LeBron, it it just feels like it's the end of that era. I know that everyone, you know, the next day is talking about, you know, what's next for LeBron. Pretty much every single person on TV says that LeBron has a 10% chance. That, that's the new thing that they say. They have, he has about a 10% chance of coming back to Cleveland, <laughs> as if anyone has any idea what LeBron is actually thinking. Yeah, but right. that, that's, the, that's, the, that's what everyone says. He has a 10% chance of coming home. Um, I got to ask you, just being in the building, I mean— the the last time that this happened when LeBron left in 2010, uh, when when they lost to the Celtics, it felt like everyone was against LeBron. You know what I mean? Like we blame him for where yeah. we are right now. I mean, did it feel like that in Cleveland this time? Did, pe- did were people turning on LeBron? Because I'm not gonna lie, Actually, I I I would assume that they would just because you're getting swept at home. Weirdly enough, there were people sitting behind me that were Cavs fans that were sort of turning on LeBron. Like calling him a pussy and stuff. Yeah, and it was very bizarre because does not surprise like the me. general the the overall vibe was obviously very pro LeBron. He gets taken out. They give him a standing ovation. I think most people realize he's going to leave, um, or, or whether whether that's actually true or not. Like you said, like people seem to chance. think they know what he's going to do. The, I think the Cleveland fans just live in a state of permanent pessimism and cynicism, and they're like, "This guy's definitely leaving." And so you were split on on the reaction in the sense of like some people were already mad again that he was leaving. Not like burn your jerseys. How could you betray us mad? But just more like, I I don't just, just just mad in the same way you'd be mad that any player would leave your team. You know, there's not a, there's not a single fan base. Like people want to make fun of Cleveland for getting passionate about this stuff. There's not a single fan base. that's like the best player 
the Hall of Famer on your team wants to leave and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, we wish you well. Go, <laughs> Good luck in your future endeavors, you know? Like, no one does that. So there was, like, that part of it, but then there was definitely the part that was like, thank you for everything you've done. Uh, all we really wanted was one championship. You brought us that. That seemed to be the overwhelming. If, if we're going to uh, attribute fake percentages to these things, which seems, as you said, seems to be the thing, I'd say it was, like, 30% people that were pissed off that the Cavs got swept and, like, how can LeBron, how, it like, play harder what are you doing part of it though like i don't think people realize that his hand was messed up and that's not an excuse i don't think like I, it's really easy to make fun of lebron and i will i will totally get on board with people that want to make fun of him for putting a cast on like the second the, <laughs> the second the horn sounded and he shows up to the press conference like i understand that he totally could have waited to put on the cast but he definitely was playing very different it, it definitely impacted like how he was playing and in the arena there was a sense of like when is lebron going to turn it on and just do his thing like when is he going to go down swinging like we know like he did sort of in game one where it was like screw it I know we're not winning the series uh th this wasn't the case in game one I'm just speaking for what game four could have been like screw it I know we're not winning the series but I'm just going to just try to ascend into heaven after this game because I just do shit that literally no one else can do and he just didn't seem like he wanted to do that and when you realize like his hand was messed up that makes a lot more sense because he it almost looked like he got bored like he couldn't shoot threes. That was obvious. He took one three the entire game four. That was mm -hmm. that. If you're, and if your hand like, that was a game that he should have been jacking threes. When you're getting blown out in the third quarter, he should have just come down and just been jacking up threes. He was not even doing that. Uh, so when you can't shoot threes and you can you can't really drive because Golden State's like helping out on all your drives and stuff. And every time you kick it out to your your teammates, they're missing <laughs> shots. Like basically every possession was him backing down his defender. And then, like, hoping something opened up. And then if it didn't, he would try to muscle his ball, the ball into the basket. And, like, after a while, he was just like, "I this isn't happening. And he kind of, I don't want to use the word give up, but that sort of was a, a sense, given that what you know what LeBron could do, and he was not doing that, it was frustrating. And then afterwards, we find out his hand, and it all sort of makes sense. But in that moment, yeah, there was, like, a sense of, like, LeBron, are you really just going to let this happen? Like, let us get swept, and you're not going to try to score 60 points tonight? And I don't know if that answers your question. It, it does that answer was, my, that was my vibe. It does answer my question. I just think I find it so strange how there's been so many of these different times in LeBron's career. You know, I like I always think of that game five that Boston beat them in Cleveland in 2010, um, which pretty much sent him over the edge and they lost in Boston and, and the series is over and he goes to the heat. And then, you know, the four years when they wrap up with, with they go to four straight with the Heat and then the fourth year they lose to the Spurs. Um, you know, they're sitting down and they lose that in, in in six or whatever it was. And then, you know, LeBron leaves and goes back to Cleveland again. And it feels like the exact same thing. It's it's almost like when his chapters are done, they end the exact same way where it's like I've given all I can individually. My my effort is at, at at a maximum right now and I'm burnt out and that's exactly I, how it felt this time just watching it on TV and it, it almost feels sad yeah. but it also it also what I told you and when we talked about it it, it was like if I'm LeBron am I really going to go give you know 140% when he knows that he has to he, he's still trying to put a plan together to take down this Warriors team like this isn't the last chapter for him right. this is the last chapter for this this version of the Cleveland Cavaliers and when you do the the cycle of four you know we just saw that with the Warriors you know they just went to four straight finals too I thought that they would look burnout the same way that LeBron and the Cavaliers look burnout by going to four straight finals I know that like Bob Myers the GM had been calling Pat Riley to say you know how do I deal with these guys, I mean, and then David West comes out and says, says there's all this. He's doing the, <laughs> as if Pat he's doing Pat the John Calipari. Yes, yes. Come help my guys. 
You do a John Calipari, like, you have to understand something. All of these five stars I have are freshmen. It's very hard, you guys. It's it's so, it's so, so difficult. How do I get them to buy in? Part of what helps LeBron this time around in, in terms of uh, the perception with, like, Cleveland and why people aren't going to be as angry and all that kind of stuff is I think most people in Cleveland have realized that Dan Gilbert is kind of a turd. Yeah. And it's become, like, like at this point, it was the first time it had LeBron left, it was... How could you do this to us? You were one of us. You you have chosen one tattooed on your back. Like that was your whole brand was like, I'm gonna save Cleveland. And, you know, that was that was how everyone talked about him. So it felt like a sense of betrayal. Now it's almost now the vibe is almost like, how can the Cavs screw this up twice? How do you get <laughs> LeBron James to fall into your lap? Like the first time they got him, it was lucky. They they did not have the highest chance of winning him in the lottery. I think it was Memphis that year that had the best chances. Yeah. But, I think right. Yes, but, but the but the was NBA, it Memphis? Yeah, it was. But but the NBA, yeah. the NBA, obviously, you know, getting the hometown kid in Ohio and Cleveland, pretty right. nice. Yeah, the NBA did his thing. But if we're taking it at face value, it was lucky that the Cavs got LeBron in the first place. It was very lucky that I mean, again, you could you could say not as lucky as we think, but the the idea that he came back was also similarly lucky, right? And so you you have him fall, basically fall into your lap twice and you screwed up twice and at, at that point it's like maybe it's not LeBron May, I mean maybe maybe he is like demanding and he has these weird I mean I know people make the joke about how he's the GM and he handpicks all of his players and all that stuff and so maybe he is to blame on some of the stuff but I feel like there's a lot of Cavs fans and people in Ohio that are like you, you just figure it out I mean at this point <laughs> how do you have LeBron James twice and you can't you can't make this man happy when he goes to Miami he seemed pretty happy there I don't know so of course, he he, does, he does. He doesn't feel like that hard to please, but it's weird. But it is weird that you know at the end of Miami, he was you know he seemed to get unhappy. But I, I think the the funniest thing to me about the LeBron situation is now that we are doing kid watch. Um, the last time when he was leaving oh, Miami, Gary Payton. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, everyone was watching the houses last time. Is like, is LeBron having people you know come look at his houses? Is he trying to sell his houses? Is he looking for houses in Akron? Is he looking for houses in Cleveland? And this time it's is he looking at schools? Uh, you know, like basically what everyone is saying is that his oldest son, Bronny, uh, you know, who he wants to play with in the NBA at some point, who in, in my, you know, Cleveland, you know, glasses, my, my blinders, you know, my love for Cleveland, I wanted to see Bronny and Bron play together on the Cavs. But, um, it sounds mm-hmm. like if Bronny wants to play for St. Vincent, St. Mary's, which is where LeBron played, then they will stay in Akron. That's whatever, that's what the word is. And if he, do, and if he doesn't, then he's going to play uh, at a prep school uh, in California. And now, folks, I know that there, there. I know that people think that you know it would be cool if he went to St. Vincent, St. Mary's. But there's no way that LeBron's kid, who's been going to you know AAU private schools and all this other stuff, is going to all of a sudden go to St. Vincent, St. Mary's just to play where his dad played. You know, that's just not going to happen. Well, I mean, that's not. It's, yeah, LeBron's kid's not going to decide it. There's actually LeBron's best, LeBron's kid's best friend that goes to St. Vincent that is currently supposed to go to St. Vincent St. Mary, but but his friend's dad might be getting transferred to Dallas. So, uh, you know, like if his dad takes that job in Dallas, then LeBron's son's best friend might move to Dallas, which would mean LeBron's son wouldn't want to go to St. Vincent St. Yes. Mary anymore. Oh, He'd yeah. want to go to L.A. That's so it's right. actually. Yeah. It's actually, is this dad going to take that job in Dallas or that's not? That's what I'm hearing. What, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm hearing, yeah. And, and and if so, there will be a ripple effect. Do you see the Gary Payton thing that he's like reporting? Yeah, that, he, that broke the, has, he broke the story. He, not only did Gary Payton go on first take with Stephen A. Smith and basically say, 
LeBron James doesn't want it. He went, he went on other programs that said LeBron James' son is committed to go to school somewhere else, and that's why he's going to the Lakers. So Gary Payton's been very involved in Le, the LeBron James saga the past, like, two weeks, which how have you? Nice. How have you not done this with Steph yet? How is this not? Like, you got to you gotta <laughs> weasel your way in, and you got to become the Steph Curry guy like Stephen A. is with LeBron, where Stephen A. just pulls anything. Like, obviously, Winhorst is the LeBron whisperer yes. and, and, and all of that, but, like, Stephen A. is the guy that just pulls, pulls stuff out of his ass and is very confident in it. And for some reason, I don't know. Well, it, it matters. Well, like, like that should be used, Tate. You should be like, I'm, you know, I'm plugged in. I got my sources in Carolina, obviously close to the Curry family. And I'm hearing this. And <laughs> it has nothing to do with it. Eh? That's my new lane. That's, That's a great I, industry. I, I'll, I'll be Stephen A. Smith of 2002 with AI. That'll be my Curry situation. When mm. he, he just had Allen Iverson. There you he, go. Remember, quite fr- quite frankly, when he yeah, just had quite I- frankly. <laughs> Allen Iverson would just come on and just like basically complain about what was going on on his team. He was like blaming Eric Snow for everything. But Stephen A.'s like, tell him why Eric Snow can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The good old days. Um, yeah, so the Warriors are now a dynasty, Tate. Uh, they they have ruined NBA. That's what everyone's saying. I'm I'm going to agree with that and say that this is. I I was so excited. The part of me I obviously wanted the Cavs to win because I want the Warriors. I I have a brain and two eyeballs, and therefore <laughs> I want the Warriors to die. <laughs> I want this Warriors thing to die, like every other fan in the in the country that's not a Warriors fan. Um. So I was cheering for the Cavs, but also like part of me was excited that the Warriors swept and they made it look so easy because. It just feels it's so gratifying as a college basketball fan that all these NBA fans have this sense of superiority over us. You and I try to do a good job of bridging the gap. Like yes. we we do not think that we we prefer college basketball. We would never say that college basketball is definitely better. But I get personally attacked Tate, by the NBA people and and how their sport is so much better than ours and all of that kind of stuff. And it's so gratifying to watch just basically everybody in the NBA losing their minds that Pretending like their sport is not ruined by the by the, the by the Warriors when it pretty clearly like here the future of the NBA Kevin Durant did not start this LeBron didn't even start it like I from what I can tell this was the the, the Celtics doing the yeah. super team was it not the or was there somebody before that no we'll blame the Celtics and there's there, there's all a bunch there's all a bunch of new let's blame the Celtics it's more fun that way nobody yes. ever blames the Celtics Mm-mm. certainly nobody <laughs> in in our uh, company ever blames the Celtics so let's be the let's be the renegades here contrary um, yeah. There's there's nuances to all of this to each individual case, but the Celtics formed the super team in like what 08 was it? Yeah, when, when Garnett least, it was yeah. it was this yeah 07? summer summer of 07 yeah yeah yeah. So the Celtics get the good team. LeBron can't beat those guys, so he gets frustrated. He decides I want to go to Miami and form my own team. Mm-hmm. They do that. The only way he can get out of Miami is if there's like another super team waiting for him, which is becomes the Cavs with Kyrie and Kevin Love, and he that's attractive enough for him to go back home. And then the Warrior, like Kevin Durant, can't get over the hump, so he goes and forms his own. This is the future of the NBA, Tate. This is where like basically the Warriors are either going to. We're at a point where the Warriors are now going to win each of the next five NBA titles, or somebody is going to have to form another just behemoth super team, probably with LeBron, to beat them, right? Yes. And how does that, like, how is that a good thing? That that's just what, and then you're going to create, like, basically you're going to create a, a monster even bigger than the Warriors? Is that the idea? Now you create, like, an even bigger super team? And then how do, my, my point is, like, how do, how do the Cavs, how are they ever going to have any chance whatsoever moving forward? 
of ever doing anything. How well, how are how are the Indiana Pacers ever going to win anything? Who's ever gonna? It's like a, it's a league of free agency. That's what it is. It like it's the haves and have. I don't know. It's 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 hilarious to me. And I mean, the good news for the Cleveland fans is Dan Gilbert's on it. He said he is going to, uh, you know, be the architect of a championship team without LeBron James. So that's good news for them. Um, you know, Dan Gilbert's mm. on the case. Uh, I think what it, what it's leading to is, you know, we've been saying this for a while. It's like, how do you make the All Star Game interesting uh, in basketball? And at this point, the All Star Game is basically going to be the the finals once we get it done with all these super teams. So we might as well just let it all be one thing in the NBA. The All-Star Game yeah. is the NBA Finals. They play a seven-game series, and we have the West or the East, and that's who wins the championship, and we all celebrate, and we can all that's be a part much, of it. That's pretty much what it is. So, I mean, the, the rebuttal to that would be, well, in college, Kentucky and Duke and Carolina and Kansas and and Ohio State, you know, the Blue Bloods, they <laughs> they, yeah. uh, yep. they always that's win. They they always, yeah, you see what I said there? Uh, they always win everything, and, and, you know, the lower guys never have a chance. But they're... The way the college system is constructed, there there is an opportunity. Like, there's a way for a Virginia Tech to theoretically win a national championship. They could theoretically win a national championship within the next five years. It would not be, you know, it, it would be unlikely, but it's not. Like, it is it is absolutely impossible, and and the, you can pretend all you want that it's not NBA people, but like the Memphis Grizzlies are not winning an NBA championship. Yeah. it's not happening. Yeah, it is never ever ever happening. The Indiana Pacers are probably in this current age. Like they got, they got, they had some good teams there for a little bit in the '90s. But like, the well, Pacers are probably never winning an NBA championship. Yeah, you got. It's tw- never. It's ne- And how do, how do you reconcile that? That like this is <laughs> this is the 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 league that it's always going to be. And you have this idea that there's parity, but there's not. It's always going to be the free agent. They're always going to want to go to like the cool markets. The bit you got the supermax thing. I know with the or whatever, but I I don't know. I don't. It's funny to me, Tate. It's funny. I'm not actually mad. You're not mad. You're you're just saying you're just pointing out the fact that we're in this situation where I mean, the Warriors outscored their opponents by 210 points in the postseason. That makes exactly. that makes no sense. I mean, they are basically the greatest dynasty. I mean, it's almost it, it was so easy that you almost don't even understand the fact that they are now they have the best win postseason win percentage. It was greater than 91 to 94 Bulls right now. They basically have, I mean, Curry is similar to Duncan in the same way that Durant is similar to Jordan and, and like, the accolades that they're racking up now. Like, I, I think Curry is now only, like, the eighth player in NBA history with three NBA titles and multiple MVPs, and that's, like, with Kareem, Russell, Jordan, LeBron, Magic, Larry, Tim Duncan. And then you got, like, Durant and Jordan are the only people with multiple finals MVPs and, mul- and uh, four scoring titles uh, to their name. So you basically have this team that, I mean, Draymond Green just broke a record by Wilt Chamberlain in the finals for like most rebounds in franchise history for the Warriors. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're 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 breaking records that that are just unheard of, and they're just resetting everything in the NBA. And it's because they do have four Hall of Famers, possibly five Hall of Famers if you include Andre Iguodala, who's the Finals MVP. And they're all playing in their prime, and they all seem to like each other, and they all seem to understand the game of basketball, and they all seem to want to run it back, and they all seem not to be tired by going to four straight finals. I mean, they're they're playing up and hamming up this whole idea that they were worn out by this, and you know, Steve Kerr is like, yeah, it was a tough time for us this season. That's nothing to compared to Cleveland. Like, what was going on in that yeah. Cleveland rock locker room? I mean, the the Warriors look like a bunch of little seventh graders just high-fiving each other and just, like, playing tag compared to what was going on with LeBron and those guys. LeBron's punching whiteboards with full force and still having to play in games. 
And I just, I don't see an end in sight. And I think the NBA, I don't know what they do with the new CBA, but I was joking with you. I think they have to hard cap the NBA so that the, so that they can't sign these four guys. So that you can't yeah. have the idea that Anthony Davis could get traded to the Rockets. Or some, or, or or even get traded to the Warriors, which is what I saw. That the Warriors are willing to trade Iguodala and picks for Anthony Davis. Like they have to do a hard cap because we can't have these teams. It's just not like literally there will be no record. Like Will Chamberlain and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar will have no records if we keep this at this rate right now. It's crazy. It's <laughs> insane. And and it's it's not even it's not even about the Warriors winning. That's crazy to me. It's not like the Warriors. Yeah. Because they're winning, that's the. It's like how they're going about it. That you could just you could add Kevin Durant to a seventy-three win team, and then it's not. And it's not even like a house of cards that's going to collapse on itself. Because because I was I was talking to Simmons about this. Like as someone who doesn't really pay that much of attention to the contracts and all that situation going on, I just kind of watch the basketball and take that in. Um, I was under the assumption that Kevin Durant was going to the Warriors, and basically they had like a two to three year window, and then they were going to be effed. With yeah, just paying everybody but it's my understanding that's not the case at all there's no end in sight like this is this is just how the current like i don't i don't understand how it's happening um but then the other concern i have is like as as you're sitting there watching what was probably lebron's last game in cleveland is like how is cleveland ever going to get back here like how could they possibly and your answer is they're going to draft a guy mm-hmm. why, why don't they just draft a really good player and then ride him out and he becomes their franchise guy like i think that the future of the nba like these guys are always going to gravitate towards the the cooler markets like that's just how it's going to work and and they they got that super max deal i understand all that but i mean the, all the stipulations are for like the only the 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 absolute studs of the league cuz like wasn't didn't like uh, uh gordon hayward didn't qualify for that right cuz like mm-hmm. he didn't have he wasn't quite good enough and paul george didn't qualify for the the pacers that's why uh they couldn't offer him more money cuz he like missed out on they, they, he was like four he just missed out on the all NBA third team or something like that. So you're t- you're only talking about like the top top guys and these guys make so much money that like what is an ex you know like the the absolute top guys could like LeBron they're they're talking about him going to LA. He's going to make more money in LA with his branding stuff than he would make if Cleveland could offer him more money because they can keep like their hometown guy or whoever that all works out. Like I don't know Tay. I don't I don't see how they're ever going to fix this unless like drastic changes made beyond what the current system is. And it's so funny because, I don't know, I love it. Because like NBA fans just love talking about everything that's wrong with college, and then uh, they get stuck with this, and it's great. It is great, and I think it's, I mean, it's great for the players that they do have control over everything that they, I mean, it's basically, you know, it goes back to the old days when someone would get traded and they're all mad, you know, they, they try to make a deal. Even Kyrie's a great example of this. I mean, Kyrie didn't want to go necessarily to the Celtics. I mean, he was like, I want to go to the Spurs, I want to go to the Timberwolves, which I still am shocked by that, or I want to go to the Knicks. And then the best deal that Cleveland could find to get back what they thought was a, was a good coup of players was hey, we're sending you to Boston, sorry, that's up to you. And now the big rumor is, you know, maybe if LeBron wants to go to Boston, then Boston's going to trade Kyrie to the Knicks. So Kyrie's like one of the few players that is actually in a terrible situation and has no control over his his future and the teams are being able to dictate it. So on on both sides of it, you know, you can see where the frustration is. But having all this money on on these, like for the Lakers to go into the luxury tax, for the Warriors to be able to go into the luxury tax, even for Cleveland, what they've done with LeBron to go into the luxury tax, knowing they're going to make that money back with, you know, able to be, being able to brand LeBron and everything. I think that if they are able to, to cap it out, if they want to do this and they want to cap it out and that spreads some of the talent around the league, that will help everybody else out. 
or we're going to get to the point where they need to split it up into almost like a Premier League model where you try to play up to get into a, a yeah. different a different class of the NBA for whatever reason, and and you you go up or down a certain tier. I don't know. It's it seems like they've really screwed themselves with or this whole the, free free agency thing. Do like a thing where uh, the population of your if your pop the population of your city is under a certain level you get you get a higher salary cap or something yeah the electoral process how, how, stu- how stupid is that <laughs> how stupid is that i know it's i know it's a stupid idea i'm just trying to figure out how dumb of an idea that would be <laughs> oh i don't know that that's just like really frustrating especially as a guy like this is why i was never i've never been into the pacers like when i was growing up i, w- I would watch the pacers i yeah I, I hope the Pacers win. It's cool, but like I can't get into the Pacers because I I am smart enough to watch the Indiana Pacers and realize I was smart enough at a seven as a seven year old to realize the Indiana Pacers are never winning an NBA championship. It's just not happening, and it's so weird that the NBA pretends like it could happen and that there is a way, and all of these teams are sort of equal, and and they're not, and they're not even close to equal, and it's just. It, it, it's it's bizarre to me and I don't understand how you're going to fix it and I don't understand how like to me it's obvious that like every champion the, the only small market teams that are ever going to win are going to be like in warm weather <laughs> like what, yeah. what chance do like the small markets in the north have who's going to want to like what free agents are going to want to go to Cleveland or Indiana or Milwaukee like it's just not going to happen and um, I don't know and and it's, know, and it's one of the things where it's like the only two other like you know we had the Lakers we had the Celtics we had the Sixers the only two other franchises within the NBA structure to really, you know, resurrect a, a grand, you know, history of, of basketball and professional basketball is basically Michael Jordan's Bulls, and he gets Chicago Bulls the six titles, and now we have the Warriors, who you know won their first title in forty years in twenty fifteen, and now they're at six titles. So they've both been pulled up by dynasties, and that's the only reason that they're in a conversation. So basically, your only hope. If you are the Cleveland Cavaliers, if you are the Charlotte Hornets, if you are the Atlanta Hawks, if you are the Orlando Magic, is to get someone like, a, you know, a Michael Jordan or someone like a Tim Duncan, you know, with the San Antonio Spurs. Ooh, that's or so, easy. Yeah, someone like Stephen Curry <laughs> with the Golden State Warriors, and then have Kevin Durant sign on top of him and the core they already built there. I mean, so you basically have like a once in a lifetime opportunity to get this to happen, and it only happens, you know, once a century, basically. Uh, or once a decade at least uh, with Duncan and Curry and, and Jordan. I mean, I, I just there, I there's on. not much hope there. It's hard to sell that to people. Here's here's a radical idea, just just because we're having fun because it's the off season. Who cares? Who um, cares? What about uh, what about like an exp- What about like every four years we reallocate all the players in the NBA? What about Re- like redraft every? Every four years, like every single play, yeah, you just do a complete redraft. Like every player in the NBA becomes <laughs> gets thrown into a draft pool, and then you just redraft them all. <laughs> People have to leave their, leave their family, yeah, root their families up, move to different parts. Of the, it's a redistribution of, the- <laughs> of wealth. It's a. I think what I just described is communism. Carl, <laughs> yeah, uproot their family. <laughs> I'm gonna call it Markism. That's 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 the markism. That's a, there you markism. go. I like that. Go. That's a great idea. I'll, now that now that it has a catchy name to it, yeah, I'll I'll, get, I'll, put, I'll throw myself behind that. Markism is redistribute. I don't know. It's just it's it's just frustrating, Tate. Because like again, in college, you have these same problems. You have the haves and the have-nots. But you theoretically, like if you're if you're like a butler, for example, and you're you're new to the game, kind of you're you're used to be a small school. You you started having some success. You're come you're stepping up to the table. Like there is a way 
that Butler could become a premier program. They in are college basketball. I mean, I mean, you know what I'm saying. Like, where they're legitimately like just pumping out Final Fours here and like every other year, and there, there's a way they can do that. And there's just like I, I, I do not see a path at all for the Indiana Pacers to be a perennial contender in the NBA the way it's currently structured. So that's that. That's uh, that's part of the reason I like the college game more, and I just felt vindicated because. I don't know. I it, it just like I, I don't hate the NBA. I enjoy the NBA. I enjoy watching the basketball that's played in the NBA. But this is a very serious problem, and it's not even that the Warriors keep winning. It's that there's no obvious fix, and and everyone's going to point to like, well, the Rockets took them to seven games. Yeah, but the Warriors did not have Iguodala, who like completely helped their team. But also, they took them to seven games and lost. So who really gives a shit, Tate? Like, I, there are a lot of teams that have come close to doing a lot of things, and they didn't do it. So. And I was and I was saying this to you. I mean, like in the same way, Chris Paul basically throws his whole body out on the line and gets hurt for the just for them to get the lead in the series to to win it to get ahead three two. Right, knowing that they have probably no real chance at winning uh, in seven games. You know, with him throwing his body on the line. I mean, he was about done at the end of that game anyway. He goes against Quinn Cook and then he's done for the series. And you know, now he's injured as a free agent. And the same way that if LeBron had done that against the Warriors to win one game in Game Four, you know, they lose in five. And then he, you know, comes off, you know, a, a, an injury riddled, you know, off season where he's trying to figure out his next destination. And then he's in a predicament. I just, if I had to, if if you had to figure out a way with free agency, and I mean, I I don't know how much you, you know, want to keep up with all the the free agents that are out there, but it, you know, LeBron's probably the top free agent. Kevin Durant's obviously the number two free agent. Paul George is right up there up there as a free agent. If there was some way where you could put people together where you could try to figure out a way to stop the Warriors. What what is the best case for you? I mean, is it LeBron going to the Lakers with Chris Paul and Paul George? Because I think that's I want, that's probably the best case. I want LeBron to go to the Spurs. That's what I'm cheering for the most. If he doesn't stay in Cleveland, I don't know if that actually makes him a great team, but I just want like the idea. I think LeBron and Popovich have had a crush on each other for like 15 years now. Yeah, and absolutely. I I, I want to see them together, and I don't even care what what the rest looks like. Like I I I would prefer that Kawhi stay there. I think he is going to right. Isn't that the the idea that they're figuring that out. He had a, they don't a, hate each other anymore. Yeah, he sat down with Popovich and apparently cleared the air, which was which is what what I'm hearing is that they cleared the air. Popovich said, <laughs> Popovich said, uh, "Quiet, are you aware of just how much money we can give you?" And Quiet was like, "Oh, in that case, I, f- I feel like the air has been cleared, Greg. Thank you. <laughs> like, Great talk. Coach. Thanks, Coach. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I want him, I want him to go there, but I don't really I don't know. It's weird because like I look at all these. I mean, the idea of going to the Lakers and. F- if I'm LeBron, like I don't want to step into something that's sort of unknown, and I don't want to do the Miami thing again. Where I mean, it's, it's easy to look back on the Miami thing and think that like LeBron was forming this this behemoth, unbeatable team. But that was Pat Riley. Given like the yeah, it was Pat, it was Pat Riley. It was actually Pat Riley that was doing. It. Um, but there was a there was like a, a sense of the unknown. Like I, I there was like how is this going to work together? Are these guys going to? And we kind of saw that in the 2011 Finals where. LeBron wasn't really sure what his role was, and he kind of just disappeared, and that was very bizarre. And and I don't know if like if I'm him, I don't want to take that gamble again and like go to a place like the Lakers, and then you try to like land a couple other guys, and you're not really sure how it fits. I want to be plugged into something that's like already kind of there, and I see an obvious fit into how I could step in. Um, I but that's just kind of how I I don't know. I, I mean, I don't I, you don't he doesn't have a ton of time to like work towards something. You know, you don't have you don't have two years to kind of figure it out. You got to win next year. I think if I'm LeBron, I let the Warriors three peat. 
I go to the Lakers. I kind of sit out next year. I don't really give it a go. I may I maybe have my first injury Ooh, my okay. 16th year, and I basically just <laughs> I basically just sit out next year, and then I come back and once I get my whole team together and figure out what the plan is. Uh, once I get you know if he gets Paul George to go there and Chris Paul, maybe he and Chris just heal next year. Uh, they sit out together. They they figure it out, and Paul George kind of just becomes like a little star on his own, and it's like the future of the Lakers. And then they both come back, uh, maybe get one one more piece, and try to make a run. I do like the idea of Popovich and LeBron, just because you know LeBron was there in '04 when Popovich was the assistant coach. I mean, they had they weren't very close then, but LeBron pretty much lobbied for Popovich to get the job on the other side of K and Colangelo. And once he got the job, LeBron said he wanted to play in the 2020 Olympics just so he could play with Popovich as the head coach. So that little back and forth gives Mm -hmm. me a little bit of hope that maybe LeBron will say, hey, I want to be the face of USA basketball. I want everyone to know that I am USA basketball. Um, So if I go to the Spurs and Popovich is my coach and I have Kawhi and I have Aldridge and I have myself and I basically play point guard while Tony Parker, you know, sits on the sideline and kind of just goes into retirement, then... I don't That's know. It's a great I, situation. I could see that happening. I don't know why. I what what I think like if I'm LeBron, I'm saying I just want to play for a competent coach. Yeah. I just want to play for a coach who I want to play for a coach who I'm hundred percent certain knows more than I do. And like w- w- what would that feel like? It would probably feel nice <laughs> because with Spolstra, it's he was so young and it felt like LeBron was like, I know that yeah. you're you're taking words from Pat Riley. This isn't really you. And I think Spolstra sort of found himself post LeBron. And he's become, you know, a coach exactly, that people yeah. want to play for. But Ty Lue, obviously, was handpicked by LeBron just to sit on the bench every once in a while, forget that they have a timeout that he should call. Um, and and I think, like, he's he's past that. So if he does get a good—Popovich would be heads and shoulders by far the best coach he's had. I mean, Mike Brown's probably the best coach he's had uh, up until this point uh, just because Spolster was so young and everything. So Popovich and LeBron would be pretty scary. I mean, I would hate to see that if I was the Warriors. That's what I'm saying. That that I think that's the best fit, but I don't know. I don't. I'll, I'll have to ask Stephen A. what he thinks. <laughs> have to check back in with him. Tell them that um, Eric Snow is hurting you. Let's take let's take a break. Come back. We will talk about uh, some draft stuff, some college basketball stuff, some other stuff. We'll see what we get to. Some stuff. Tate, as you know all too well, finding a dress shirt that fits is nearly impossible. Something is always off, be it the collar or the sleeves or the other parts of the shirt. Mm. Thankfully, ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier with proper cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds by answering 10 simple questions. You choose from over 20 collar styles, 10 cuff styles, and 500 fabric styles from classic to business to casual to completely customize your shirt and get the style that you want. The team at Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers from around the world and only buy fabrics that meet their high quality expectations. Each one of their shirts goes through extensive quality control testing, so you're getting the absolute best quality and craftsmanship. Best of all, Proper Cloth guarantees a perfect fit, meaning that if somehow your shirt doesn't fit perfectly, they will remake it for free. The whole process is risk-free. This is the future of shirts. These shirts are made completely custom for you. No matter what your body type might be, they will find a way to make this shirt exactly what you want it to be for just $80. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Start looking your best with a custom-fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com shining today. Enter gift code SHINING to save $20 on your first shirt. Please go buy a proper cloth shirt. Please. Tate and I... Our, our livelihood depends on it. Yes. They're great shirts. You have nothing to lose. They're risk-free. If you don't like it, just send it back. They'll give you a new one. Propercloth.com.
Tate.com. All right, uh, we're back, Tate. I forgot to tell you uh, <laughs> at the end of the uh, the 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 Warriors beating the Cavs when I was at the game. Um, I, I wanted to tell you this story because I thought it was a trip uh, to be in an arena, to be in a home arena where the visitors win a championship was just an incredible thing to witness. It was it was like the most bizarre, and it wasn't. I don't even think it was just like that dynamic. I think it was also that this was part four of their their saga together the Warriors versus the Cavs like the Cavs fans absolutely hate the Warriors they the, the loudest that arena got was when Draymond the, the loudest cheers the entire game got was when Draymond Green airballed a three yeah and the, the place just was like cheering so loud like they hate the Warriors more than they love the Cavs I think at this point um so to watch the Warriors this this whole dynamic of you got these Cleveland fans who are sticking around and you 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 got like all these people that they're not really sure why they're sticking around maybe they're thinking like LeBron's going to come back out and make an announcement that he's staying and they're just like they're just like shell shocked they just want to like they, I can't believe we might be losing LeBron again they're all just kind of sticking around in their seats the Warriors are barely celebrating Adam Silver comes up and he's got the trophy and he's like t- doing his little speech <laughs> and then they they pass the thing over to the owner and like it was one of the most like out of touch thing scenes I've ever witnessed. Where you got these these Cleveland fans, these hardworking, salt of the earth American blue collar people that are in their home arena. They just want to see LeBron. They just want to know if LeBron's okay. Does LeBron love them back? That's all they really want to know. That's that the, they spent their hard earned money just to come to this game. And Adam Silver's like, Cleveland fans, thank you so much for a great NBA Finals. You guys were great. Now to present the trophy to this billionaire who lives in Silicon Valley and just kicked the shit out of your favorite team for the third time in four years. All right, here we go. Here's the trophy ceremony. And then the Warriors Otis grabbing it and he's like, I gotta tell you, Adam, what a great season. Cleveland was a great opponent. It was and I'm looking around like, what is happening? I don't know. I just wanted to share that story because it was like I've it's the first time I've ever been at a pro um pro sports championship crowning if yeah. that makes sense yeah uh, to, I've, I've ever witnessed something like that in, in, at a pro sports level it was totally unlike what i've what i'm used to seeing at the college level we'll put it that way and it was it was a trip man it, it especially as just being on a home court i mean i was there last year in golden state so it was it was those guys getting the trophy and then it was like a steve Ballmer uh summit you know every single time that they said a word the whole place erupted and people just lost their minds and was jumping all over the place and was like we are the warriors hear us roar kind of thing so I can only imagine what yeah. it's like to see, you know, Cleveland people just looking out in the distance and, you know, just hearing, hello, darkness, my old friend. It, exactly. As they, as they it was the weirdest thing, too. LeBron leaving. It was the weirdest thing, too, because, like, the Warriors themselves didn't even want to be there. They were bored mm-hmm. by the whole trophy syrup. They were like, can we just go back and pop champagne now, or do we just have to stand out here? The fans obviously didn't want to be there. Like, the only people that wanted to be there were, were the, the Warriors fans who were chanting their Warriors chants, Warriors, or whatever it was. Um, who are those fans? Are they, that's what I was wondering are those too. Cleveland I don't so many Warriors fans that you have in Cleveland. Are those Cleveland yeah. people that love Steph Curry for being born in Akron? That's a, yeah, maybe. Akron's um, real son. I don't know. I, I wanted to share that. Uh, what what else you got to talk about? What else is going on in the basketball world we got to get to? I want to talk about some college basketball finances that uh, came out. So this, I just thought you would find this interesting. So basically all the athletic departments have to to release this as public information um, to the Department of Ed- Education about what all these schools are spending uh, on expenses and revenue that's coming back for uh, major sports. So I was looking at the men's basketball revenue and, uh, you know, the usual suspects are up top. You got, you got Duke, you got Kentucky. 
Um, you got Syracuse, you got Indiana, your school, uh, you know, Kansas, North Carolina, all those guys are bringing in, you know, $20 million plus in revenue every year. Um, you know, not too much, you know, just, just a, not, not really a pretty penny. Just, just a little a penny. bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, about 20 not million. Not enough to pay the players. Let's uh, not get crazy. Uh, about 350. Uh, but the number one team I thought you would find very interesting, and uh, I can't even believe it. They So in expenses, this school, they spend about $17 million, but they also bring in $43 million uh, in revenue, and that school is the school of the great, the late great Rick Pitino, the one-eyed monster himself. $44 million, Google. Mark Titus. And all of it, all of it is taxpayer money. <laughs> it's, all, it's all finance from the government, right? <laughs> yes. $44 million. What is what is Chris Mack going to do with $44 million? I mean, that is, that is insane. He'll find a way. He'll find a way. I mean, I I, I would suspect that Louisville is going to be pretty good at basketball based on that. I, but that's, I mean, that that that's almost, I mean, Kentucky's $27 million, Louisville's $44 million. I mean, that's a pretty we, ridiculous we difference. We talked about this. We talked about this before. Like we've talked about this a thousand times. Like this is why it pays to be scummy. I mean, not that like the whole. Lou- <laughs> I mean, like, you have the thing. Louisville has their issues. They. Yeah. We we we, we talked about that report with the uh, jurich where where the taxpayers were funding the whole stadium and like just kind of all the finances, basically like their whole operation. You kind of scratch your head and you're like, eh, eh, I don't know about this. So jurich gets fired. Patino obviously gets fired. Everyone's like, let's clean this sport up. And then at the end of the day, you have a Louisville athletic department that is a thousand times better than it was 30 years ago. And it was totally worth it. It was totally worth all of it. And if they could do it again, they would do it again. And that's true of every single program in the country. And that's the beauty of college sports, Tate. <laughs> it's so amazing. I, I'm, I'm just so proud that- to read this list and just to see all the money that, that is brought in. I thought you would find this pretty interesting, too. Chicago State, expenses, they spend about 700000 in revenue last year, Chicago State, $1.18 million in revenue. They're in the plus. Hell yeah. Just I, wait wait till after I get hired, see what that'll be. I feel like they're I feel like they're sandbagging it a little bit to say that they're not in the plus. I mean, there are some schools that aren't that are not in the plus, and we're we're seeing some bad like North Alabama struggling a little bit, but Chicago State, I was very proud of that. But I don't. I just. I just can't believe all this money is just out in the public and nobody, State, nobody talks about it. Chicago's all of Chicago State's revenue comes from uh, letting the local high school game, letting, using your gym for the local high school games, and then charging tickets for that, and then they get to keep all the money. And and, and that's probably where they <laughs> charge. They charge the high schools ref fees. Yeah, exactly. That's that's uh that's where all their revenue comes from. Oh, that's um, so but, but no, I mean, it, yeah, the, the Louisville thing is it's genius. It's like it, it's like robbing a bank and then you go to prison for a year, but you get to keep all the money you robbed. That's pretty much how the current system is set up. Well, and that's and that, true. And Louisville. So just so Louisville fans don't get mad at me, I'm not picking on them. That's true of like every single major scandal that seems to happen in college sports where it's like you find your scapegoat, you find maybe it's two or three scapegoats. You might have to do a, a you might have to serve like a, a small punishment here or there. But then at the end of the day, you come out of it better than you were. So it was totally worth all the cheating. And do you want to? Awesome. Yeah, it's it, 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 totally awesome. But I want to talk about a team. So Villanova is the only team that's in this list that has a, a balanced budget. So they have, they spend $11 million and they make $11 million. So they're the most honorable guys in the game. And they're winning titles. They're, so in any, if anyone wants to talk junk they, about college basketball, Villanova, that's our champion right now. 
True to the game. They're, they're just the smartest at, at spending. <laughs> they're, they're the smartest at figuring out like we, we have to make it we have to make it come out to even so we don't look like we're greedy. Yeah. It's genius. Yeah. You, you, you never hear Jay you, you ever hear Jay Wright's name mentioned when you talk about or any of the Villanova players mentioned in this whole pain players debate? No. Just that quarterly guy. Villanova's just, left out of it. Just yeah. their starting point guard. Yeah, no, that's year. true. <laughs> Only the starting point guard on their team this year. Just that uh, speaking one guy. of all the pain players. How about the the LeBron documentary? HBO. Yeah. Making a documentary with LeBron. Okay. And we we already saw yeah, this, your, right? Your thoughts, Tate. Yeah, we already saw this. Ben Simmons did a documentary. I think it was on Showtime, so maybe that's why this is on HBO. Uh, that's about, hey, these guys are making a lot of money for these schools, and they're not making a lot of money, and they're not happy about it. So I'm guessing that's the storyline of this documentary as well. Mark Titus, you may know more than I know. Uh, this one's on HBO, though, so people will watch it. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, I did see this quote from uh, Maverick Carter. LeBron's right-hand man. Um, he said this in, in talking about... Yeah, for, for those who don't know, by the way, we should explain that the, 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 the they're doing a documentary on how un, how NCAA athletes are unpaid and it's not fair. And I don't know if you guys have heard about this debate before, but uh, apparently college athletes, they, college sports makes a ton of money and the athletes don't get any. I don't know. Yeah, $44 I'm, I'm million dollars for Louisville. I'm just now hearing about this. But uh, Maverick Carter's quote was... This is an incredibly important story about the institutional denial of basic human rights for these student athletes. Oh. Oh. Um, so again, what term paper did he pull that from? This is the his his idea of players getting to fly on private jets and get all the food they want and free education and stay in nice dorms and all the free gear they want and access to incredible facilities is a denial of basic human rights because they also don't get like a $50,000 salary on top of that. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love I love everything I about wait. this this whole this whole thing. I I we've we've beaten it into the ground, but just everything about the uh the the pain players thing, like both sides are just out of their minds and they lose touch and you get quotes like this. Like I've made that point before that I'm for paying the players, but this is so damaging to the cause when you yeah. have guys like Maverick Carter saying that guys don't even have basic human rights. Well, it makes the, it <laughs> it's makes incredible. It makes people not even want to come to the table, and then it gets into this larger conversation. You know what I mean? It just makes people pissed off. It's, it's also like it's also like <laughs> offensive. As a man who you know, I I'm pretty well off and I'm privileged in this world that I live in. Um, I would find it. I, I assume it would probably be, be offensive if you were one of those people in the world that don't have basic human rights. Yeah, you probably have <laughs> some like, qualms with that. Well, yeah. Yeah, you might have a little bit of problem with that, but no, it was funny. I saw that. Uh, no, it'll be interesting. I will watch this. We will talk about this on the podcast, uh, the doc when it comes out. Can, um, can we talk I'm about? Sure it'll be juicy. It'll but. be it'll be very juicy. Can we talk about the irony that LeBron's best friend and right hand man is named Maverick? That's got to be a constant reminder of 2011. Ooh, that's a good point. I like that. That's tough. I, I would. I hate I like to hear that. that. I hate that's to hear good, that. That is a great point. Great uh, point, Tate. Yeah, thank um, you. Do you have any do you have any draft thoughts before we go? Uh yeah, I, I have just a couple of quick things uh and then I want to bring up the the team U, the U18 team USA real quickly at the end of this and just talk about how ridiculous that is and the bright future of basketball in general. We've been kind of negative about the NBA, but there are great players to come, but the NBA there are three players Mark Titus. You're writing about Marvin Bagley which I want to ask you about, but I think right now the 1 2 3 picks we have you know, first the Suns, then the Kings, then the Hawks. I think we got Eaton, we got Bagley, and we got 
the the dark horse guy that's kind of jumped up because he's been working out with Joel Embiid because that usually leads to great things in the NBA apparently. Uh, Mo Bamba is the third guy now. Mm. So those three guys, these are three you know long you know rangy seven foot guys. I mean, Aiton's about seven foot one. Bamba you know has a seven ten wingspan. Everything we know about that. Uh, I just find it interesting that we just watched a finals where literally no big men mattered except for Javale McGee. You know, every once in a while, um, Javale McGee, the man that leads the Warriors in uh, postseason field goal percentage, by the way. Um, now, mm. with a minimum of 100 attempts, I just saw that, which is shocking. But the fact that none, no one over seven feet really mattered in the finals, and now the top three picks in the draft are all going to be big seven-footers. Um, does that matter to you? Is that interesting to you? And also, tell me Marvin Bagley is one of the best players in the draft, please. Marvin Bagley is one of the best players in the draft. Um, I also, I don't think he's seven feet tall. So He's 6'11", right? Helps. Isn't that what he's listening at? Six eleven. He's listed at six eleven. He's probably like six nine and a half. Yeah, that's what I would say. Well, looking at him, he looks six nine, but he's listed at six eleven. Yeah, but uh, no, yeah, I'm writing about Bagley this week. Um, the the general idea is that Marvin Bagley was the best player in college. I thought last year. Um, he in in the sense of like just the complete dom. Like we talked about this a thousand different times throughout yeah. the season. Just that. Bagley just destroyed everybody, and Aiton did too. But Aiton was playing in the Pac-12, and Aiton was like Aiton like was single-handedly saving the Pac-12. And I, and and it always becomes like anytime you do draft stuff, you always like if you if you like one guy, you have to tear down the other. So I would actually take Aiton number one. That's not I'm not saying that Bagley should go number one. I think Aiton, I, I think Bagley was like a little better than Aiton in college. He he was I, I maybe more than a little better, but I thought. Bagley like captivated my attention and dominated college basketball more than Aiden did. Yeah. But Aiden has more room for growth and impact at the NBA, just given his like phys- physique. And if he can like become a little slightly more fluid, I-, I felt like Bagley is more fluid than Aiden right now. Like Bagley can catch the ball and just kind of jab step. And I kind of, it kind of looks more natural to him than when Aiden does that kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, so I would take eight number one, but I, I the, the point of the thing I'm writing about is basically like, if you go back through history and you look at these guys in college who dominated college basketball and were obvious pro prospects, so like not your Jimmer Fredettes or your Tyler Hansbros or guys like that, but like oh, whoa. guys who have the phys, eh, come on, come on, guys who had the physical you remember tools. Those Pacers that years? Were, I do, I do. That's which is exactly why I picked Tyler Hansbro. It's one of my examples. <laughs> uh, if you go back in college and you look at like the guys who dominated college basketball who are obvious pro prospects and you just say like every single draft you go, I'm just going to take that guy, it it, it probably would have worked out. It, it almost always works out. Like the worst case scenario, if you would have done that, would have been like Michael Beasley. Yeah. Who's honestly not, not really that terrible. And Beasley's problems weren't, if, if we can be frank for a second, I, I don't really think Beasley lacked the talent. Tate. I don't think that was ever his problem. <laughs> I don't think it was like he didn't really fit into the NBA. I think uh, there may have been some other problems that led to him not becoming a Hall of Famer. But sometimes he got um, lost in the weeds. That's pretty That's pretty much my my general thought on Bagley though is like and why I, I I it feels like Bagley's gaining more momentum though. Like I feel like you and I aren't alone in this. I I would look at mock drafts a month ago and he was like 5th on some, 6th on some, and now a lot of people have him going number 2. And I think like people just overthink stuff and you think about potential too much. And it's like why why overthink everything? Why not just take the guy who just absolutely destroyed, like was the best big man, the most dominant big man I've seen in college basketball since Anthony Davis. And before that, I don't even know, maybe probably Odin in 07. So um, I think that like for me, it's like it, 
begins and ends there. I think Bagley and Aiton should be one and two because both of them dominated college basketball, and that's really all that needs to be said. So yeah, I and know. I mean, if Blake Griffin can go number one in the NBA draft and sort of be you know the six ten guy in the same way that's rangy and athletic in the same way as Bagley, I mean, why can't I? I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it, it seems like the it, Kings are going to draft a number two, and I and I told you this already, but I love the idea of uh, Giles. Bagley, like I love that whole front court that they have there. Basically, just Kentucky guys like Scal, Lebizier, uh, and Willie Cauley Stein. All those guys with the Kings. I mean, they're just like a bunch of athletic dudes that run up and down the floor. And uh, I don't know. I, I like the idea of Bagley going to the Kings. It's funny to me how uh, the NBA, the new era of NBA, is positionless basketball, and positions don't matter. And we switch every screen, and the Warriors will throw out a lineup with basically like Kevin Durant at the five. And like this is the idea of modern basketball is that throw out all that, but then the big concern with Marvin Bagley is that he doesn't have a position. Yeah, and what position would he even play? And it's like how how can both? I mean, who cares? Just put him out there. Like he he'll set he'll run the floor. He's I think Bagley. The, the thing that's underrated about him is like I think that dude wants to be great. Yeah, like from watching him play and just kind of like he he has the makeup of like I am going to be a star or bust. Like I I I think he has the drive. I think like he's. I don't know, as well as you can sit on your couch and watch a guy on TV and and project these things. But that's like the vibe I get from him is like, if he does go to the NBA in his first three years in Rocky, he's not just going to be like, oh, okay, well, I guess I suck. I got to find my role and how I fit in here. Like, he's a guy who is going to figure it out. If he's, if, if he can't, like, he realizes he has to have a reliable jump shot to, to survive in the modern NBA. I think this is a dude that's going to lock himself in the gym and figure out a way to have a reliable jump shot. Yeah. Like, that's just kind of the vibe I get from him. And that's why I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm talking myself more and more into him being like he has to go number two to me, or I will, I will be shocked. And it's funny because Doncic, uh, a lot of people for uh, the Doncic train. What happened there? I don't know. I will say that once we got on the anti, I think it swung pretty heavily. Once I brought up Anthony Randolph had a better season than him uh, by the numbers, people got you know they started to turn their nose up a little bit at, at Doncic. But so um, I don't want to take credit for after it. we were shitting on. After we were shitting on Doncic, I went back and uh, like like we obvi- obviously got a lot of flack for that. People were like, "You you don't understand, man. You don't get I've it. Been, I've been you just don't get it. I've been watching all. You've never games. been to Europe. And listen, I will reiterate, I'm sure Doncic is really good. It's it's more that people haven't watched him that are pretending that they know that he's good. But anyway, um, this whole idea that he was like a, he was a 19 year old Euroleague MVP, and <laughs> that's just incredible to win Euroleague MVP. Yeah, it's it's like it's stunning that that he could do such a thing. And then you go look up like who was who was won the Euroleague MVP, the history of the Euroleague MVP. Like Andre Kirilenko is by far the best player who's ever won the Euro Euroleague MVP. That's it. That's the cap. So I don't know. Is that is that really a is is Euroleague MVP a, a, a better indicator than ACC Player of the Year, Tate? That's my question to you. I mean, it's a great question. If I'm telling you. Is it is it better? If I'm than- telling you in five years. Five five years from now, we don't even know who the players will be. That the Charlotte Hornets can have the ACC Player of the Year with the first round draft pick, or they can get the Euroleague MVP with their first round draft pick. Which are you taking? They're going to take uh, Malcolm Delaney, uh, and they're going to bring him into the fold <laughs> and pass him the ball. Let him put up some shots. I was just thinking, like, is the G League MVP better than the Euroleague MVP? And as I'm looking through it, I mean, you got Tim Frazier, G League MVP. Up there, mm-hmm. I mean, AK forty seven probably knocks him out. Andrew Godlock, uh, you know, from the Great Coastal Carolinas, on there. I mean, AK forty seven probably knocks him out. Vander Blue, I don't know, that's tough. Vander Blue is a legend. Lorenzo Brown's another guy from this year that I would watch out for. Jarnell Stokes, 
Well, I think AK-47 wins, but I, I I tried to test it out. That's the G League theory. Uh, so at least he was better than the G League MVP. So maybe that gives him top 10, right? That's good for Doncic. Yeah, I don't know. We'll That's see. a good plug. Um, I just, it, it, is, it is kind of funny, like the last few weeks, like, it, there, there was a debate. It was Doncic versus Aiton, and that's what it seemed to be. That was going to be the idea. We were going to go into draft day, and no one was going to know, and people were still going to be debating it. Doncic versus Aiton, who's it going to be? And then, like, in the last couple of weeks, it's like everyone finally got a brain, and we're like, oh, it's definitely Aiton. It's 100% Aiton. And then Aiton's coming out at press conferences like, yeah, it's me. I'm going to be the number one pick. Well, you, you know what it <laughs> is. That, you know what it is, right? All these, everything what? that's led up to this has been all like the writers, all the all the draft nicks, you know what I mean? They're just like writing what they think is going to be the case, you know, like mapping out all this stuff, basically doing all the background legwork for all the NBA people. And now all the NBA mm-hmm. people are getting involved and they're hearing things and they're, and they're telling these writers, like now they're completely changing their opinions on players, you know, just because they actually talked to someone in the front office that's like, yeah, I would never take Luka in the top 20. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. They're like, exactly. what? <laughs> Like what is that? That's exactly what. So the the mock drafts we got a month ago were the writers' opinions, and mm-hmm. now the mock drafts we're seeing are the actual NBA. GM. Yes, because they're interested now. Now they're actually talking about it. That's yeah. the difference. That's like yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, how about Bill Self? Oh yes. So uh, Bill Self, he's back. He's back. He's, he's got his mojo back. He's on he, top he made of the-, the final four this year. <laughs> he's. It's his time. It was supposed to be what his year. Yeah, it's 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 he's been very happy. Obviously, Lajero Vic doesn't have a play a place to play basketball, but Bill Self doesn't doesn't care because he's with the uh, the U eighteen team um, and his future star Quentin Grimes. And I don't know if you saw this, uh, but after the first quarter against Panama, the U S team was up forty three to zero. I repeat, forty three to zero. And when they started the second quarter, they scored the first bucket to get them up forty five to zero. And they led seventy to eight at the half. And they lost. <laughs> and then they lost. Panama came back to win. <laughs> oh my god! What a comeback! What it, an incredible comeback! It was. It was a. For people that didn't see this, uh, I mean, the USA team has a six-inch height advantage on everyone on the Panama team. So it looked like the tw- the twelve-year-olds playing the six-year-olds or something like that. But my favorite part was in the first quarter. Panama, you know, hasn't scored a point yet. It's very sad. And they have a fast break with about 20, 25, 26 seconds left. And Kobe White sprints back down the floor and does a LeBron chase down block to keep them from scoring. Um, and, and, I, and I thought it was just like the most messed up thing. Like as far as sportsmanship, you know, like we we really don't have that at, at this level. Um, and that's all on Bill Self, which I really respected because he he did not want uh, Panama to score in that first quarter. I think that's the first time that's ever happened. Uh, the U eight team for the U S. I mean, obviously some great players have played on that team: Melo, Bosch, uh, Quade Green, of course. Um, but uh, it, it was a. It, I mean, I've never seen anything like that, Mark Titus. It was it was crazy. It was incredible. Um, there there is an element like if you've ever been in those situations, even playing video games. Mm-hmm. I, I understand the chase down block because like you feel obligated. It, it's almost like you start trying harder when you realize how much you're dominating them, and it's like we can't let them get the ten points. Yeah, you can't let them score in this quarter, and that becomes like a bigger deal than you know. Like you play harder when you're up by ninety than you do when you're up by thirty. Almost. Yeah, just ask the Warriors. Um, exactly. I played one game uh, in like fourth grade on my AAU team. We had an absolutely stacked team, and there was a t- there was a team full of second graders that were playing up two years for some reason. Mm. And I, I, I have no idea why. I'll never forget this because like 
the coach the coach must have thought his team was like pretty good and they did they needed to play tougher competition. So there's this team of second graders that's playing up two years, playing us, a team of fourth graders. We had one of the best teams in the country. <laughs> and we beat the shit out of them so badly. Like we I, I think the final score is like eighty something to five was the final score. And I, I remember that same um at the, t- the the reason I remember it so well is because of that same exact feeling. We're like, I don't think they scored in the first half. And they're they're five points. One was a banked in three at the nice. buzzer towards the end of like the third quarter buzzer. And the other one was a foul. They shot two free throws and made them both. And that was it. But I remember like when, when they banked in the three, just how deflating it was. So <laughs> I don't know. That would be, that's the dream. I want to see a men's basketball, like a competitive men's basketball game where a team scores zero points. Tony Bennett's working on it. He's doing all he can. Yeah. He's, he's looking at his schedule right now. That's the future. <laughs> he's got a schedule. Tony, when I get the Chicago state job, hire us and we'll, <laughs> we'll try to make this happen. <laughs> You'll pay to play Virginia just to score zero points. That'll be perfect. Yeah. So, um, all right. That's cool, dude. That's all I got. You got anything else? Uh, I got one thing to shout out. Uh, Netflix. I don't know if you're watching this. Staircase is the name of the series about uh, the murder. Uh, uh, this guy, Michael Peterson, he's from Durham, North Carolina. Uh, it was a story I grew up hearing. It happened in, like in 2001, but he basically, his wife, uh, he called the, the the cops and said his wife fell down the stairs. Um, turns out that wasn't quite what happened when you look at the scene because there's a lot of blood Ooh. everywhere and everything. Uh, it's like a 13-part series on Netflix right now, and it's one of the craziest stories. It's like folklore in my hometown. My two roommates are both from Durham and grew up in the same neighborhood where this happened, and uh, this was like the craziest story. This was on ABC News every single day. People just catch it was like the OJ trial of uh, Durham, North Carolina. Basically, everyone was watching and, and keeping up with this. So uh, it's called the when, stair. When did it happen? It 2001 is when it happened. Um, one. Okay. Yeah, it's called the staircase. Thir- it, thirteen part 13 series. Thirteen part series. Yeah. Where so it's basically thirteen hours of a documentary that at the end is going to be like, yeah, you murdered her. Uh, <laughs> it's it's whew, dude. It's a lot. It's spoiler a lot. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, there may have been spoiler a murder. Alert, she did not fall. <laughs> spoiler alert, she did not fall. She was pushed. <laughs> it's just, it's it's more and for, now, it's more for. 13 hours. <laughs> it's more for like, they have these meetings at the Carolina Inn with like all the defense attorneys and they're yeah. just like, talk. they're talking in these North Carolina accents and like going through the whole case. And this is a time in 2001 where you would just say anything and you're on camera and, uh, it's, it's hilarious. I, I really want to play some of the audio from some of these meetings because, these people, it, this was not the times of 2018. Uh, you don't, you may need your earmuffs if you haven't heard some of this talk before, but it is, it is hilarious. Uh, the staircase, I would, I would highly recommend it. It is really good. I, I watched I four last night. I, I have been, uh, I, I've become addicted to true crime docs. Like I think, yeah. I feel like every person in America has become addicted <laughs> to true crime documentaries, which is why, like, that's all Netflix puts out anymore. Is you just watch, yeah. Um, it's like the South Park yeah, murder porn. That yeah, that's 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 what we're yeah. at right now. It's. It's very, it's very straight. Yeah, like all these, I don't know. It, it, I have, I have a short attention span as well. Like I remember watching Wild Wild Country on Netflix, and I thought it was like the wildest thing I'd ever seen. It was like this is absolutely insane. I'm calling every friend. I think I called you to tell you to watch. Maybe not, yeah, but I was, I was calling like everybody I knew. Yeah, I was like, you got to check this out. It's incredible. It's Wild Wild Country on Netflix. You have to now. <laughs> Uh, a, w- a week later, my brother's like, hey, man, I finally got around to watching Wild Wild Country and wanted to talk to you about it. And I was like, yeah, dude, I don't remember any of that. Like, I've already watched like three more documentaries. <laughs> hey, man, that's old news. See you later. <laughs> I- I'm on Evil Genius now, dude. Did you hear about this pizza delivery man wearing the bomb around his neck? <laughs> it's like, cool, dude. Talk to you later. That's the world on. I live in now. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I don't care. Yeah. Like... <laughs> oh, that's, that's perfect. Oh, fun times. 
True crimes. Uh, fun times and true crimes. Mm, um, mm. All right, dude. I'll see you next week. Sounds good. We'll we'll figure out something to talk about. We'll do it. We'll do a big <laughs> draft, one last draft preview, and then at some point, dude, we got to start having guests because like I'm running out of things to talk about. Same. Uh, it was happening today, yeah. but uh, yeah, we'll get there. We'll find some guests, and uh, uh, I believe in us. I, f- I feel like we can carry the torch on this this summer. We're Don't we're we're almost there. We're close. We'll, we'll talk about uh, what happened. To our, our we're supposed to pivot to World Cup. We're supposed to pivot to MLS and World Cup. We're supposed to be a soccer podcast. What happened to that? Uh, next year. Save, <laughs> save the crew. By the way, the crew are hot right now. The crew are. I'm. I'm gonna. You know what I might do next week? I'm gonna give my big crew. I'm gonna spend, take like 20 minutes at the end of the pod. And give a crew update. I can't wait on on the save the crew movement. The crew are red hot right now. They're. I think third place in the East. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll do a World Cup MLS. <laughs> Can't wait. Oh, God. And with that, I think it's time for us to to end this podcast. Tate, it was a pleasure. We will do it again next week. Save the crew. Once again, today's show is brought to you by Proper Cloth, the leader in men's custom shirts. Having trouble finding shirts that fit? At propercloth.com, ordering custom shirts has never been easier. Create your custom shirt size by answering 10 easy questions. Shirts start at $80 and are delivered in just two weeks. Perfect fit is guaranteed. If a shirt doesn't fit, they will remake it for free. The whole process is risk-free as well. For premium quality, perfect fitting shirts, visit propercloth.com shining and use gift code shining to get $20 off your first custom shirt today.